Thank you for joining the ESBC podcast network. And I always say that the purpose of the podcast, every single podcast is a business meeting and you have to have a purpose and an outcome. And the purpose of this podcast is to make me money. And I always say that because I'm being frank and I want to be, I am as real as possible as my perception is. And with that, you get down to business because business is clarity. And the outcome has been, uh, let's say, 500% ROI on the sports betting podcast because it's for people who look at wagering on games the same way you pick a stock. So not only do you know which teams to wager on, you also know how to pick a stock, how to pick an investment, so on and so forth. And the outcome has been of gotten great feedback. Uh, two years of the podcast, every single rating has been a five-star rating. And people have reported making a lot of money, uh, either in their business, getting business knowledge, uh, ongoing folks who have contacted me and were mentoring as far as making money and learning decision science, how to make the right decisions. Now, I'll ask John if he agrees with this, but if you're the smartest, toughest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So I always look for people who are smarter, tougher than me. To that end, we brought in John Hansen, uh, who has several businesses like myself. He's uh, like Scott Duffy that we had on Independently Wealthy Guy. Uh, he has entrepreneurial ADD, right? He has a few businesses going. He'll tell us, and we'll put in the notes how to contact him. John Hansen, who's been a military man and is an entrepreneur, and really impressed me when we talked about one of the underlying tenets and foundational parts of the podcast, was, which is mental strength and having an abundance mentality versus a scarcity mentality. Because we give a lot of information. You, you'll get an MBA from Wharton listening to the podcast or from Harvard, right? And we give it all away for free. You don't have to spend the, the $300,000 to go to Harvard Business School or Wharton. All you have to do is listen to the podcast. So thanks for joining us today, John. My pleasure. Our first conversation, Josh, I know that conversations, future conversations are going to be amazing if the first one, which lasted an hour, <laughs> just flies. Because then I know we align in so many ways of thinking the same way. But then we were kind of a spark as we were having our first Absolutely. conversation. Was like one topic after another just came up. And uh, that, those conversations are so exciting and so stimulating that I was enjoyed that and was very much looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah. Yeah, no, we'll put that magic on the podcast because uh, before I get into my rant, right, about polarized thinking, it goes along the same lines of diversity, right? I am the president and communications director of the Orange County Diversity Council. And in diversity in business, diverse companies make 45% more in free cash flow than other companies, right? And that's a very important statistic. That's why you hear so much diversity and inclusion, but many companies get it wrong. It's not just race. It's not just gender. It's not just disability. It's region. And what John provides for me is regional diversity, being from Ohio, the experiences he has on the military, right? Fort Benning in Georgia. That's where I did basic training of Benning in Georgia. Yep. And now you're in Ohio. 
That's right. And I'm here in the West Coast. So, so being able to discuss and have a good conversation gives this podcast phenomenal regional diversity. Yes, yeah, so I see what you're saying. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. no, if, if you have a whole team from the East Coast, if you bring a guy from Appalachia, you bring a guy from the West Coast, you bring a girl from the West Coast, right? That team automatically, especially since we're the most educated uh, population because of the GI Bill and after World War II, we're the most educated population in history, the richest country in history. So you bring regional diversity, those teams make a lot of money. And it could be any kind of diversity. It could be a team of all engineers. You bring in someone from the art department, that team will beat a team of just engineers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go on my rant. Let me know what you have, because it's it's kind of one of the, the stories is in Ohio, right? And again, we go back to diversity, because when you bring in a diversity of thought into a team, it ends up making more money. So this polarization we're in, where people are just, hey, this is my team, right? Since it's my team, my team is right. And I'm going to just do what the union boss tells me to do. I'm a Democrat. So whatever person has a D next to their name, I am going to go for that, right? If that person has an R next to their name, and they're not going to think now in business, we can have our R's, we can have our L's, but at the end of the day, you have to be pragmatic because things end up in court and you have to stick to the facts and you have to have a timeline. So in the way I'm processing it, John, you tell me how you're processing it. The right made a mistake just sticking with Chauvin, saying, okay, Chauvin, what he did was right, right? Uh, Chauvin, the theme in these two stories is not listening when police arrive. Chauvin had his knee on his neck for six minutes on George Floyd. In minute number seven, right? And where I fought Chauvin is from minute six to 9.32. In minute seven, and I watched the trial, so I know the names of the officer. Officer Lane says, hey, maybe turn George Floyd to the side because he's not looking too good, right? This is a fellow officer. So it's not the people yelling at him from the street. It's a fellow officer with training. Chauvin says, no, nah, I'm not going to pay attention to you. And he, he literally said no. At minute number eight, King comes over and says, hey, let me check his pulse. Chauvin goes, no, no, don't check his pulse. And then at minute nine, King says, screw it, I'm checking his pulse. Tells Chauvin, hey, he has no pulse. Chauvin's like, oh, okay, whatever. And I, I, I think that hurt him with the jury when he just shrugged his shoulders and said, oh, I, I couldn't care less. And it's nine minutes and 32 seconds on his neck. So now Tucker Carlson, uh, Fox News, right-wing news says, hey, the jury was scared to say not guilty, when obviously it was excessive force and inhumane, and it was over a $20 forgery potential charge, and the transportation was not to jail, it was to a hospital. So he was holding him down to take him to a hospital, not jail. The other side of the coin is you have 
a 16-year-old girl. And it, in, in part, what we do in the pod, this podcast, give you comprehensive detail, right? And we give you both sides of the story without putting any, uh, being as, as least biased as possible. Everyone's biased. Everybody has bias, unconscious bias and, and conscious bias. Everybody has it. But you make your, a good faith professional attempt to have both sides and to be detailed and to tell both sides of the story. So you have a 16-year-old girl, right? And you let me know your thoughts at the end of this. You have a 16-year-old girl who her mother is protesting, screaming at the cops, but she could not stay at her home. This girl was in a group home. So I feel that it's unfortunate that her mom couldn't take care of her having her mom. They interview the aunt, the aunt screaming, mad at the police. This girl could not stay at her aunt's house either. She was in a group home. In the group home, they had they allowed her to have access to a knife, which I think it's unfortunate that this group home let her have access to a knife, be the therapist at the group home and the group home leader, right? Did they address anger issues with her? Uh, dispute resolution that you do not handle disputes through violence, right? What's that talk at? My wife's a psychotherapist. That's the first talk she has when she's worked at these group homes. Mm. And there's always a debate whether to have these group homes in suburban areas. And I've asked my wife about that, 17 years as a psychotherapist. And she says, it depends on the leadership. Is there structure there? Is there somebody listening for disputes? Yes. If not, no, because violence or drug use or drug sales will spill out to this right. suburban neighborhood in the group home. So this girl's charging at the other girl. She's about to stick a knife in her and the police had to make a decision. So they shot her and saved the other girl's life. Immediately the, the left vilified the cop. So again, the left in my opinion, jump to conclusions, vilifying the cop in this situation. And what's deeper and more disturbing because it bleeds into clients and we both have clients that uh, we help with their businesses. They'll say, oh, hey, don't hire a liberal. Oh, hey, don't hire a right wing wacko conservative. And you have to say, hey, you have to divorce that from that. So the right did a disservice to business and did a disservice to humanity, really, and to logic by just saying that Chauvin was right in what he did 100%. And then the left did a disservice, just as bad, vilifying the police officer in this situation. What are your thoughts on that, John? Yeah, it's a, gosh, it's a combination of, so many times we would love to think, and I have, having military background in my experience, I know that being under stress, severe stress where life and death is at stake, as much as you can train and prepare for that, it's a very different environment when you're in it. Right. Uh, so understanding the complexity of when you have that kind of a stress level and they've measured those things, pulse rate, your thought processes, how many things are happening at a much higher rate, pulse is elevated, your thought processes are miles a minute. Um, you, you've got other factors, other people, other interactions going on. Meanwhile, you're responsible for maintaining some kind of law and order. It's a very difficult uh, position to be in. 
for the people in those situations. What I think happens too often though, and I totally agree with you, I have two points I would say. One is extreme sell. It right. seems to me like the, the, the eyeballs are what are driving this. No matter what side you're on, it's like right. they have six sides, camp out on those sides, talk about those sides so they can keep getting the eyeballs and the ratings that bring right. in money. No, there, there isn't really any discussion for middle ground because as soon as you start going that way, you start to lose eyeballs. So it has to be extreme. Uh, I think that's one aspect that creates this divide naturally. It's market driven. Uh, advertisers want eyeballs. The ones that produce these um, shows, these news programs, they want to get the eyeballs. So they do what they need to do to get the eyeballs. Until that demand changes, we'll see more of that. I totally agree with your perspective. In business, the second point, yeah, I. it's far more important to me of the person's brand that I'm working with, meaning that are they going to represent my personal brand? Are they going to represent my business brand well? Because the professionals, those are the ones I want to work with. I, being fully honest, like not that I would fully lie to you. Why do we use that? <laughs> right. <laughs> full disclosure, right? I would rather work with somebody where I don't care what their political views are at all. Right. I, how are they as a professional? Because in business, how your brand is and how their brand is totally impacts the, if that's important to you. And it is to me, it's, it's, it's everything to me. My brand is me. So in every situation, my brand's important to me. I'm going to make decisions based on that. And I have people that I'm fairly certain, but I've never asked because I don't care. I believe that their leanings politically are, are different than mine. But they're so professional and how they handle themselves in their relationships with people and their conversations. Well, there are people that I know align the same with me politically, but I would not trust my brand to them right. because how they would mishandle it. So I, in business, you're right. It's not just a pragmatism. It's a connection with your values. And because values drive brand, right. you better be aligning with people that represent your brand well. Politics is something that can be addressed somewhere in some other forum. But in business, if your professional brand is not being polished by this person, even if their political values are in line with yours, it's not worth it. It's not worth it right. align with why you're in business or how you do business. I agree with right. you. And then, and then looking at the facts and tracking everything, because then when it comes back yeah. to a lawsuit or a dispute, you have complete notes and you have a complete timeline to be yeah. able to to defend because salesmen think short term businessmen and women think long term right and, and having a long-term approach is higher level thinking so let's backtrack right who is john hansen why the hell should we listen to him and tell us a little bit about uh the mental strength you learned in the military and something else that's very uh, part, the region you're in, the wisdom of Appalachia, because we talked about that the first time. It really piqued my interest in learning that as a guy who pretty much lived on both coasts. Uh, the only southernness I've had was uh, two years in Austin, Texas, maybe 20 years in Florida, where there is some southernness in Florida, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, mental strength. Gosh, I, I thought I was. I've always known I'm very intelligent, but there's a difference between book smarts and mental strength of a huge difference because mental strength has 
in my opinion, does not have to do anything with intelligence. doesn't matter the, what grades, what letters you're getting in your report card or what four point something or other, it, that doesn't matter for mental strength. Right. Mental strength is what Angela Duckworth calls grit, uh, a book that I greatly enjoyed reading because she nice. studied West Point uh, cadets. And they wanted to identify who would be the ones who would most likely graduate. And when it, all the research was done at the end, it turned out natural strength, skills, abilities, those things did not have a strong indication whether someone would complete the West Point program. What it was, was grit, mental strength, sticking with it. Uh, that did not translate, or there was no connection with intelligence level or skill sets. It had to do with the people that stuck to it, especially as it got difficult. So right. we talk about mental strength. Uh, that piece of things, having that military background, not only did I learn mental strength, but I also now had a comparison of what a bad day looked like. Bad day meaning lives are in the balance. Anybody that's in law enforcement, healthcare, where this comes up on a regular, right. anybody has worked in something where people's lives are literally in the balance. The idea of a bad day means that your hair might be on fire, not literally, but you might have too much to do. The list gets longer. You can never get it all done. Customers uh, need to be taken care of. Your supervisor has things that you need to do for them. There's not enough time on a day to complete it all. And the stress is through the roof. Um, but my level of a bad day is at the end of the day, did anyone die? No. Did we learn something from this? Did we do it with the best quality we could? Yes. So I had a fresh perspective that pre-military I didn't have. So my stress coping skills were much higher because of that. Uh, on top of that, I have a very rich, diverse background. I've been in so many different fields. And while the, the knock on that used to be that you're a jack of all trades, master of none, that may have been true. But what's actually we're finding true now is that I diverse. You talked about this, and I'll, I'll pull this in in our conversation before we kicked on the air. Right. 5% greater cash flow for diverse companies. Diversity, like you also said in our conversation, usually to check the box things like affirmative action, not against them, by the way, but right. affirmative action, the idea of we need to have so many of this color, so many of this nationality, so many of this gender. All right, we got all the boxes checked. We're a diverse company. That's not what I'm talking about when I say diversity. Diversity can be from experience, background, upbringing, region, yes, degrees, but skill sets, the more diverse your group is, the more you, you talked about this at the very beginning, the smartest person in the room had better not be the one that's actually coordinating everything. Right. There could benefit from the collective intelligence because synergy is way more powerful than energy. Energy is singular. Energy right. is, is individually focused and it's very limited. Synergy, on the other hand, is something that takes its collaborative it's multiplying a factor, whether it be intelligence or uh, ingenuity or creativity, or just you can go farther as a team than you can as an individual. So diversity, uh, that's a powerful thing. So my background is very diverse. I've had experiences of succeeding, but oftentimes why I would move on to the next thing was of one of three or a combination of three factors. One was culture. If their culture doesn't align with mine, it's not worth staying. And we see that this is changing now in the workplace and in the economy and in uh, the, how people choose to buy. For the, for the first time in quite some time in modern history, we now have a larger number of consumers, employees, 
and the world at large that are Gen X millennial or younger. It's shifted. They have the majority now. There's still quite a few of baby boomers and older, but in the workforce and consumers, it's tipped. And now it's to that group, that younger group. It doesn't matter to them if they have quote unquote stability, if they're in the same job for 25 or 30 years, right. born, raised, worked, lived, married, kids, same town their whole lives. That's actually a detriment because what they're finding is that the more diverse your life experiences are, the more you've sampled different industries, the more that you've learned and gained from those different industries, the more of a well-rounded professional they're hiring. They're going to actually outperform someone that's done the same thing from, from graduating high school till when they retire, simply because of the diversification. So diversity is huge. Right. Yeah. And an important point about the skill set, because there is a fine line between uh, the whole thing that, that's been said in the past about um, uh, you know, Matt, what is that saying? Goes master of none. Uh, oh, Jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. Right. Right. So the antithesis of it, and this has helped me make a lot of money, is that if you have a starting point, a being humble enough to know that you're not a jack of this trade. So a specific example is when I go, let's say it's a wealthy estate and the matriarch dies and there's a meeting with the attorney, right? Even though I've been successful in like 26 straight lawsuits that we've been able to win uh, by being more prepared really than the other side, not necessarily being right, but being more prepared. Yeah. There's steps along the way that you leverage for money, right? But going into that meeting, and I'm not saying, hey, I know more than this attorney that we're going to go see, or this person that's managing the estate. However, I'm prepared, right? I've studied, yeah. and I can go into with my client who just lost their father or just lost their mother, and I can go there uh, with less emotions without being, let's say, in an amygdala panic brain. You just lost one of your uh, people that raised you or people that were with you in an early age. You have a psychological, right? So I can be there in a rational, neutral mind and being pragmatic, as we just talked about. Right. Neutral, looking at things, hey, maybe you're wrong. Maybe your brother's right your sister has a point, blah, blah, blah. No, really, your mother really didn't say that. But I go in there and I say, okay, I might not know as much as the opposing accounting, even though I'm good in finance. Even though I won 26 straight lawsuits, I might not know. I probably don't know as much as the attorney. However, I can put the effort to be more prepared for this specific meeting and research parts of the law, research part of accounting, right? I always have these books. I always have the FINRA book with me, right? <laughs> All those books in the back wall, read them before the meeting or reread them, right? Come back, be more as much or make the attempt to be the most prepared person in the room, be the most calm person in the room, and be able to ask the right questions for your clients and ask questions that your client might not have thought of because 
you just lose a parent, you're in an emotional state, it's about a lot of money, they could read those books too and be just as prepared, but they can't because they're in an amygdala brain, they're, they're planning a funeral, right? Yep. yep. So you might not be yep. a jack of all trades, but you could be a master of asking the right questions. Yeah, yeah. Active listening to ask the right questions, studying and preparing ahead of time. I've had the privilege, I've been a reader since I was a little kid, and that's carried into my adult life where several years ago I made the switch and I focused all of my reading efforts on nonfiction, self-improvement, business, and it's really paid off because so another reason why I really enjoy adding value to others is because I've learned so much just within the last year. Right. I set goal to read and complete and take notes on, as I read, 50 books. Uh, from last June to this June, I'm on track to actually beat that number. So about every week I'm completing a book and learning a ton doing it. And by right. taking notes, I'm retaining more of it. Then I can go back to the notes I took. So I'm learning across the gamut from best-selling authors, and that is feeding my mind. So if Warren Buffett, Mark Cuban, Jeff, Be uh, yeah, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, if, uh, Elon Musk, all credit reading, uh, as a way of, and I don't mean fiction, I mean reading something right. that's eating your mind. <laughs> right, right. I read plenty of fiction when I was a kid. I don't think that helps me at all right now. It didn't <laughs> help my reading skills, but it right. didn't help me professionally. Being studied. Another one I'd say is being networked and connected. Five years ago, this is how many followers I had on LinkedIn or connections. Zero. Big fat zero. Right. Later, I have 24,000 plus thousands more on other social media platforms. And if you Googled my name, John D, D for David, John D Hanson on Google, I'd be seven out of 10 first page Google results. Not because I'm famous, but because I worked at adding value and content across every kind of space I could think of that resonated with me. Social media, public speaking, writing articles. I did all these things because I wanted to add value and I knew that if I'm going to impact people the way that my personal goals are, I have got to be easily found. And I was able to do that and had success there. You mentioned preparation too. You can't be well-prepared if you're not well-researched. So again, this factors into the grit. People that were well-prepared to put in the, the elbow grease, the hard work, not something that came naturally, not something that is, is like a skill, not something that can be bought, but it's an innate I'm going to do the very best I can, and I'm going to stay at it. It pays off, and it has for me. So the I think the thing that's most encouraging to someone listening to this, and I think there's a, probably a bunch of people listening to this podcast, is that this is tremendously encouraging for the ones listening. I would wager, and you, you would know how good my bet is on this, Josh, yeah, but right. my wager would be that the vast majority of people listening to this are not what they would consider to be highly successful, famous people that everybody's heard of. And that's perfect. That's right where you need to be because the ones who have gotten to that point, and we'll talk about this later, I'm sure, they didn't magically get there. All right. of a sudden, in our eyes, they became famous and well-known, but there was all this work and this grit and this drive and the staying with it for years until they all of a sudden, air quotes, all of a sudden became famous and well-known. They right. didn't. Yeah. that incidentally it wasn't luck it was all that thing we didn't see all that effort and work beforehand that culminated in the right opportunity right time right people and all of us all of a sudden now they're famous and well known you ask anybody's success story the ones that are overnight successes truly 
they're just like those prime mortgages. That's a bubble that's going to pop. On the other hand, the ones that have done the work and laid that foundation, when you build a skyscraper, it takes years before you see anything going up. It's right. all down. But then almost all overnight, like all of a sudden, there's a skyscraper there that wasn't there a few months ago. How did that happen? Well, it's because they put all that work where you can't see it in the foundation going down so they can go up fast. That's, that's the way it is for people too. So I think it's very encouraging that my story is not unique. As a matter of fact, it's very common. And the more people can hear this and be encouraged, like stay on the right thing. If you've got it right, if enough people you respect that are successful are saying you're on the right path, dude, they have no skin in the game. You know, they're not telling you that so they can benefit from it. Right. No, you're doing all the right things. Stay with it. Stay with right. it. it no, off. no. Yeah. And we get four, you know, four, four to 10,000 downloads a month. But we have had Carl DeMaio, who uh, listens to the podcast, and he said that what gives him mental strength and what gives him resiliency is the fact that he is independently wealthy and that he's worked hard at his business and he can retire if he wants. In our next podcast that we'll have on live stream in a couple hours, a series we're doing on Trump nations, Trump voters, and uh, people who rush the capital, who are they, right? In detail, he's independently wealthy too. And uh, we're sharing our knowledge and research. And uh, like John and I, we are disagreeing, <laughs> which that's the other part of it. Uh, last night, we were talking about that on the podcast, Horse Racing True Crime, uh, with this growing uh, exponentially as well, is the fact that uh, Mike Persinisi and I disagree but we don't cancel each other afterwards. <laughs> We're old school as far as be able to uh, be able to be able to disagree, have different viewpoints, but not, it's not like a mortal thing where we're never going to talk to each other again. Right. And uh, we can learn to disagree without being disagreeable. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That again, that's that diversification where right. while you may not agree with it, the more diversified you are in viewpoints to understand other people's perspectives, the better off you are. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, no. And it's made money for me to be able to pull an opposing view at the right time to get a, a result to grow my bank account. Now, I'm going to be selfish as far as diversification. And uh, you have a really good angle. I think you're going to write a book about it. The wisdom of Appalachian, what you benefit, right, from that part of the country, which another part of the country might not have been able to experience that. So me as a West Coast guy, that makes me money to uh, diversify myself. Yeah, so it's interesting you say that too, because the, there is something that there tends to be more of this grit from that kind of Appalachia, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, work hard till it works, where that can be a negative if you're on a bad track, a bad idea, where it's uh, it's equated right. to this. But if you can flip that and use that in the positive side of having this grit, the stick to itiveness that just stays with something that you know is right, that you know can work, that pays off. That that um, oftentimes on the West Coast, another thing we have on this side of the country is that it's older uh, out on the West right. Coast. You were talking about the sign in the old man. Yeah, it's 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 younger. It's younger. It's, it's seen its growth and its explosive innovation 
so much has happened on the West Coast, particularly California, but uh, on the West Coast, Nevada, that blew up overnight, uh, just in the matter of, what, a few years, Las Vegas became this, this iconic location right. that wasn't there for the bulk of our history. So you have these fast-growing, innovation-driven, uh, very on, on, the, on the political spectrum of things, uh, more towards the liberal side of things, that still has a lot of aspects right because it is forward thinking, is progressive. It, it's true where you have more of the stick in the mud. So the, the benefits from regional insights is you can take the strengths, you can take also what's going on. On this side of the country, population density. 40% of the US population in a day's drive from Columbus, Ohio. 30% of Canada's population in a day's drive from Columbus, Ohio. Wow. Part of the country is so, I saw a hurricane say this. He said it was like they, uh, somebody was told, all right, you need to carve up this continent into 50 states. And they started on the left, on the West Coast, like there's plenty of room. And then by the time they got to about Ohio, they're like, oh, crap, we've got a bunch of states left and we don't have much land left. So we're going to cram them all into little pieces. We also have a population density. Now, I know certain parts of California, you would better understand population density than Midwest Ohio. I get right. that. But as a region. We are more concentrated, and yet we are, uh, it's, it's interesting, more concentrated, but more cliquish. As right. you go out west, well, there tends to be more sunlight. Um, the, the, the feel of things is different, uh, tend to be more social. Uh, down south is definitely very social compared to the northeast. So regionally, the common thread through all of this, though, is that uh, in the Appalachia region in particular, is that stick to itness, that grit that we talked about, and understanding that things take time. Where out west, it seems like things kind of happen overnight and things are hugely successful, where someone can be a no name and then a multi million dollar movie star practically overnight. All it takes is the right role at the right time and they're instantly famous. So I think you have a lot of those aspects in the West Coast that uh, is, is healthy for business. You've got a great idea. You don't want to take 10 years for it to be good. You want it to happen right. fast, right? You right. want to, how do I scale? How can I be a gazelle? It's not, it's not coincidental that a lot of the gazelle fast scaling sustainable companies are West Coast too. There's, there's something to that as well. Yeah. And, and I always say this a lot and I've lived by it and both philosophies work, right? Right. Uh, salesmen think short-term salesmen and women think long-term, right? That's why I have my degrees and stuff. And both philosophies I've seen work. I've had a client that said, hey, Josh, I know you're a good guy, but I like my mistress more than I like my wife. I hate my employees and I hate my kids. So you're here just to make money, right? But I was able to flip it and give his employees retirement plans because it selfishly helped him retain high-level chemists right right hey oh why am i chemist going somewhere else because you're a jerk and you're you want to pay him and you don't want to give him uh good retirement and you don't want to give him health care so but salesmen think short term businessmen and women think long term and then impulse control when he told me that i just took it listened to it worked with him right met him where he was at and it was a year later 
that we were able to give him information. We gave him a year before, but he wasn't ready for it. He needed to see with his eyes how it hurt him being a jerk, right? So it was not being a jerk as far as a moral sense. It was about a practical long-term business sense that yeah. being a jerk kind of kind of hurt him, right? So in my business philosophy and the other selfish philosophy, CEOs getting buybacks and getting great grandkids rich, it works. But I think you're with me as far as that we prefer to go through life with an abundance mindset mm -hmm. versus a scarcity mindset. And in an abundance mindset, and I think it's easier for us to have an abundant mindset in the United States, the richest country in the history of mankind. You got a $26 trillion housing market. You have a 19 trillion with a T uh, stock and investment market that I'm very fond of, that I've done well in. So I could say, hey, I've gotten a lot more back, right, on the back end from giving than getting. What are your thoughts on that, John? Yeah, I, boy, the abundance versus scarcity. I use a word picture to describe it. If you take seven bowls of food and put them in front of seven old dogs, they all take their time, enjoy their food. They know there's another meal coming. Right. You take, take seven bowls of food and you put right. seven puppy dogs, it is chaos. Why? Because the puppies are not only consumed with eating all of theirs, but they want to eat everybody else's as well. Here's the problem. And you and I know this. The puppies apparently haven't figured this out yet. You can't eat all seven bowls because you don't have room for it. They don't know that. It seems like the scarcity model is the one that accumulates more. But what actually happens is they end up getting less. They get fewer quality relationships. They end up in the end getting less material abundance. Right. And worst of all, they're not happy. They have less happiness. Whereas an abundance mindset says the pie is so ginormous, the trillions of dollars you talked about, it's so mind-blowingly huge. Right. There is no way that I can even Amazon with its capacity could not handle or manage all of the wealth just in the United States, let alone the world. It's not possible logistically. So abundance says, I don't need to get all the pie. And I don't even need to worry about my competition getting a piece of the pie because it's so enormous. What I'm going to focus on is that slice that I have. I want to make that the very best tasting slice they've ever had in their entire life. Because as soon as I do that, I will become a magnet for attracting the ideal team members and the ideal clients that will not only be attracted to, but will stick because it's like a magnet. Abundance is a magnet for your organization, for your business. I so firmly believe this because abundance mindset in a business of any size, I guarantee you will for the long term, you talked about business owner versus employee mindset, right? right. Business owner, long term, you will always outperform the ones that are sales oriented, revenue focused. It's short term, it's quarterly driven, it's a spinning front door. I don't care how fast the front door of your building is spinning. If they're leaving out the side door or going out the back and never coming back, that's not true revenue. That's just money flowing in and out. Revenue that lasts is the one where not only do people know, like, and trust you and buy from you, 
but they happily refer you to others just like them. So that the abundance mindset, it attracts and keeps the ideal clients, the ideal team members. And here's the crazy thing. Uh, companies that have an abundance mindset, because it's about the long-term, they're not so worried about if people decide to go to another opportunity because they're so convinced that they're going to take the very best care while they're there, they're truly going for something that they see as a better opportunity for them. Right. On the other hand, that are scarcity driven, they're afraid of competition. They're afraid of losing people. They're afraid of losing customers. It's all fear driven. Exactly. And you need, to, if you're a part of an organization like that, you need to find something else. Don't, don't quit your job. What I'm saying is if you're a team member, start figuring out your next step because that will not be where you want to be long-term uh, with the writing. As soon as the writing becomes on the wall, that this is a toxic scarcity minded culture, be right. looking somewhere else, be looking somewhere else. Cause it's only a matter of time. Right. It, it, and what you said triggered three things, right? And I'd like, you know, your thoughts on it. Yeah. For me, it's always, I've been lucky about it and, and probably got it from my parents and the businesses they had. It's always been about profit being mm. so much more important than, than revenue. Mm. Uh, and then once you evolve in life, and if you watch Shark Tank, free cash flow, mm. which yeah. is money that's discretionary. Really, that's when you want to live and you want to be with that discretional fund. And, and especially in the beginning of a company, you reinvest either in people or in your company. The mm. other part of it is that with an abundance mentality, you're out of the amygdala brain, right? The panic siren portion of the, your brain, you're in a more relaxed state. And in that more relaxed state, it's good for decision science. Yes. You make better decisions because you're relaxed. You process information more. It's like me going to that meeting where the person has just lost a loved one. There's yes. a lot of money. They're nervous and I'm calm. I'm relaxed. I'm laughing. My brain, my brain is functioning better than otherwise yes oh gosh man you could fill two three four five shows on this right versus revenue i don't care how much money you're making what's your margin right uh, we're finding uh, i hear this often in the consulting world the space that i'm in of frustration with why is there not buy-in from the c-suite leaders why do we not get a seat at the table well, part of the problem is that you're you're chasing the money. You're going to the Fortune 500 or 100 companies that'll cut you a nice seven-figure check, but you're not going to get organizational change there. The company's too large. They are quarterly driven. They are focused on, they have to legally obligated to return to their shareholders. That's what they're held to. Right. I don't care how humanistic or how popular or how in demand your human customer employee-centered emphasis or project is. If it doesn't affect the bottom line, it doesn't matter. Not only that, the larger the company, the slimmer the margin. Profitability is one of those things that the bigger the company gets, the more layers they have, the more overhead they have. To be profitable has more to do with margin than it does with revenue. You are spot on with that. I don't care what your revenue is. I care about what your profitability and your margin is because margin gives you room to take the very best care of people. Right. You don't have margin you're going to be having churn internally and externally, and that will affect your revenue. Great book, How the Mighty Fall by Jim Collins. He identifies that there's five stages. The fifth one is where they're dead, but the right. fourth is spare. When you get to the fourth stage, there's no going back. 
And companies that are in despair, what I've seen them do time and again, is they'll try and up their sales because they're trying to sell before the company dies. They're trying to make it look healthier than they actually are. So there'll be this big effort, fire sale. They'll sell stuff. They don't care what the margin of the profit is. They want to boost their revenue. When you see companies with their revenue going up, but their profitability going down, unless they're a startup, if you see that, that's a warning sign like, oh gosh, cut bait and run because margin indicates health, not revenue. Spot on. Cash flow. I, I never got this. I was around businesses, small, medium-sized companies, where to me, why are they putting this great value in their receivables? It's money that people owe you that are on your books, where if they default on it, it's all on you. Why are you not focusing on cash flow instead? I, I, I could not understand why are, you, why are you penalizing people on using a corporate credit card that will improve your cash flow, greatly reduce your receivables. And in the end, if they default, who's the one that has to chase the money? It's not you. I never got this old school thinking of receivables are a strength. They're a liability until they're paid. Right. The idea of cash flow is huge. Companies that don't get cash flow, I don't care how much money somebody owes you. What I want to know is if you are getting revenue, how is that flowing for you? Are there bottlenecks where it should be flowing better? Are there, are there toxic accounts that are notoriously, habitually late, not paying one excuse after another? Eventually, you figure out, improve your cash flow. Stop worrying about revenue. How is it flowing? They're reinvesting into others. If you're not reinvesting into people and training and development, that pays far better than marketing and funnels ever will. If you want to improve your, your revenue and your sales and the growth and the margin of your company, invest in training, invest in development, help your people do their jobs better, particularly the ones that are connected to driving revenue. I, I, you can have all the greatest advertising and gimmicks and marketing and sales efforts in the world, but if you don't reinvest into people improving on their soft skills and their professional skill sets, you're just never going to make it. You're going to be focusing on push that's funnel driven that we know that the end results of funnels is far less than where you start. It's time intensive. It's very expensive. Acquisition is five times more expensive than retention. Focus on the ones you already have that know other businesses or people. That's the better route to go. And that's how Amazon did it, by the way. Last, right. no panic, relaxed. <laughs> Have we ever made the best decisions of our lives when we're stressed? <laughs> exactly. Even in the times where we had to, we could still look back later and say, oh, I should have done this different or that differently. I guarantee you if there was stress element was removed, like you talked about, no emotions in it. You're there to do the very best job representing your clients, but they're going through extreme emotions. That's why you're there. You're able to work through those things calmly with the best thought processes possible, you're well-researched, you're well-prepared, and you have the emotions separated out of it. All of those, each one of those could be a show, Josh, because they're all Absolutely. that. Absolutely. We'll yeah. definitely have you back next week and we'll pick the topic you want next <laughs> month, right? Next month, next Friday, we'll pick a topic you want. So we'll close with these two things, right? Okay. Something that, that triggered me while you were talking is, and I know you go through this, is that people junk right in any type of either closing a deal or making a, a a decision within the company they jump from agreement right from the stage of agreement 
into closing and making a decision, which is a huge mistake, right? And something that I've seen probably in every company uh, is that, let's say the mother-in-law's job, when you crunch the numbers, right, creates $14 in, in value. Mm. And they're paying the mother-in-law $46 an hour. Mm-hmm. And you go to the to the person and say, hey, to the owner of the company, your mother-in-law's uh, value is $14, not $46 an hour. And immediately they jump to, I can't fire my mother-in-law. I said, no, that's not what I said. I said that she's giving you $14 in value. So now you know that 30 or $32 is charity. It's keeping peace in the home. You're defining it. You're not jumping to conclusions or, oh, hey, I have to fire, you know, I hate using the word consultants because 90% of consultants have absolutely no clue what they're doing. But when you go in, they say, oh, you're here to fire people. No, no, no. We're here to define things. And then once you know, because like I said, being completely all the way to the right works, make money. Being completely all the way to the left works, makes money. But by knowing the definition, like you're saying, training people doesn't mean you're going to make wholesale changes. No, you just have what they taught you in the military and what they teach you as a kid growing up. You have a more of a detailed awareness of your surroundings and you have a deeper understanding of the decisions you are making that, hey, $30 of your mother-in-law's salary is to keep peace in the home. Hey, if you get divorced, how much money are you going to lose? You know, it, but what you're doing is you're evolving your thought and you're defining things, right? Yes. Yes. You're having that abundance mentality of saying, okay, hey, you know what? I can't pay my mother-in-law uh, $46. And actually, I'm going to put it to 50 but you know that those that that is charitable or the trade-off you're making paying that to your mother-in-law and whether you can afford it or not in your company and you know what's going on because what that does it relieves the stress yes and whoa how much am i overpaying her and why am i overpaying her and you kind of can get to what covey said begin with the end of mind so now you have what the end point for your company is your thoughts on that and then uh final thoughts Anything else thoughts that you know that people should know as far as business is concerned? Yeah, the difference of difference between cost and price. Big, big difference there. You just touched on it with that example that you gave. Okay, so we know that the price of keeping peace in your home <laughs> is way uh, more than you like to spend physically, right? Right. You know that the cost, if you don't do that, way exceeds the price you're paying now. Right. That's where price doesn't matter for long-term value-based decisions. As a matter of fact, Zendesk had a global survey, 2019, pre-COVID, 45,000 companies, 140 countries. And they found that the number one reason why consumers were going to buy, they said at that time, in the next five to 10 years, was not going to be brand recognition or price, but it's going to be know, like, and trust. It's going to be relationship-driven. Well, I think COVID accelerated that. I don't think it's five, 10 years out. I think right. we're accelerating into that. 
where consumers realize my dollar is a vote. Every time I spend where I can choose to spend one way or another, I'm voting with my dollars. I want my dollars as much as possible to go to a company that's in alignment with how I believe business should be done, not what they do, because I can get that anywhere. I can get that or dropped off at my doorstep. What's important to me is how they do it. So the difference between cost and price is one of those things that businesses that, again, have healthy margin, businesses that are long-term, relationship, value-add focused, price isn't relevant to them. Right. Value is relevant to them. And if they're doing a great job of that internally and externally, then the price that they'll charge will give them a healthy margin. This is what's so ironic about it, Josh, is that if you look at the companies that are price-driven and they're always trying to beat, you can never beat the lowest price. There will always be somebody that's going to come in and say, what? Well, I'll sell you this pen. What, what did the last guy sell it to you for? I'll, I'll sell it for a few pennies less. There will always be somebody with a better price. Always. Right. right? Just like there will always be somebody more skilled, more intelligent, way better looking. There will always be somebody more than me. However, they can't duplicate my grit. They can't duplicate all the life experiences I've accumulated. And this would be the encouraging thing I would wrap up with. This is what people need to understand. And it's part of a message that I'm crafting. It's going to be in a book and a public presentation as well. Nice. I'm very eager to share this. Oh, yeah. That they need to understand how highly, incredibly, to a mind-blowing proportion, unique they are. And I don't mean this as hyperbole. I mean this literally. Right. In history past, in history present, and as we're, I mean, currently living now, and in history that's going to be made in the future, there will never, ever, ever, ever be someone exactly like you. They might have the same name. Heck, they could have even been born in the same town. It doesn't matter. There will never be. That's why cloning can't clone exactly a duplicate of the same person they just copied. It's a photocopy. It's not an exact representation of the person they just copied because you are so highly unique of the life experiences, the background, the things you learned that didn't work, the grit that you have, whatever level that is, the skills, knowledge, and abilities you've gained over the years, all of those make you so highly unique that there will never, ever be somebody else exactly like you. What you need to figure out then is, okay, so what's working in my life, what would I like to see happen better in my life, surround myself with people that are forward thinking, that are positive, that contribute and help want to help me get to those goals with no skin in the game, coaches and mentors, get those people in your life. But remember that it's all up to you. I have this in my office. It's a, it's a, just a plain blue ruler, but it reminds me of three things. Success is measured by should be by my own ruler, not somebody else's. Right. That it's not what my opinion of their success is because that's right. quote by my own expectations. And that the 12th inch getting there doesn't start at inch 12. It starts at the very first millimeter. One progress and even setbacks along the way, you start and stay on that path with grit. You get from the first inch to the 12th inch. And here's the shocker. When you get to the 12th inch, the people that are like this, they start all over again with the next thing to get to the next 12th inch. Winning at life is not somebody else's ruler. It's actually the opposite of winning at life is not losing. The opposite of winning at life is giving up. Stay with it. If you know you're on the right path, don't give up. 
keep learning, keep doing what you know is best, surround yourself with people that will encourage you, affirm you, support you, and you'll get where you want to go. No, 100%. And that triggered uh, a lesson that I learned the hard way when my mom passed away and I owned the restaurant, came back to the restaurant after two weeks of just not being there. I opened the door and everybody gave me a standing ovation. That's what I knew that it wasn't the taste of the food or the location or whatever. There, there's, there's something else, that element. People like to see somebody American. The one thing that people get wrong about white America is that white America, regardless of what the other race is, they love to see people hustle and work hard. And that's what those, that's why I got a standing ovation for. The other thing it triggered is I never lost a client in business concierge and every single client, the first thing I tell them is to charge triple. Whatever you're charging, you're, just, you're still in business and you're still fighting with it, charge triple what you're charging now. All the clients have done it and they're all doing extremely well. And it goes 100% for what you just said. And then we always close the podcast with Winston Churchill. I mean, he had a great, uh, he got us through the last uh, big major crisis in Western civilization. Yep. He said that you make a living from your labor, but you make a life from what you give. Man, awesome. it's been a great one. You know, we knew it was, it was going to be, and we'll be back for more. With John D. Hansen. We'll close with this. How can people reach you? Oh, Google my name. Uh, LinkedIn is the best way. Google LinkedIn is the best way because I, I've been at it for that long. I've got a great network there, all kinds of content. Uh, that's where the bulk of it is. They're going to be able to find that. And you can check out all the live links from there as to who I am and what I do outside of adding value to others. How do I do that? Well, explore LinkedIn. You'll find all the ways that I do. But it's been a privilege talking to you, Josh. I tell you, conversations like this, I leave fired up. I am ready to I do too. I'm ready to go through a wall, ready to go. <laughs> yeah, so it has been great. And I hope the people listening to that they get fired up with. They will. Believe me, they will. They just need they to hear on the right track. Yeah, check me out on LinkedIn. John D. Hanson, H-A-N-S-O-N. Oh, yeah, we got great materials for Motivation Monday. Again, there you go. coming your way. Churchill, you make a living from your labor, but you make a life from what you get. Thank you for listening to the ESBC Podcast Network. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it is free. It's a podcast that I use. <clears throat> and they really do a good job for us here at the GFSN Betting and Team Report Podcast. It helps us make 70 to 80% of your bets. Now... Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started, my brothers. That's why this one goes cost $800 and that goes $200. And I don't know what that cost. I'm just shaking the word. That's why.